Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to our show number 954. We've been playing Where's Gino lately. <laughs> Intrepid birder Gino Ellison is about three-quarters of the way through his North American big year. He's aiming to ID 700 species of birds by the end of 2023. And he's so close to his goal already, he's taken a little side trip to Ireland I lost my place here on the on the uh, on the copy. Give me uh, give me a second here. Oh, here it is, and he just sent us this <laughs> little recording from over there on the Emerald Isle. Anybody recognize those birds? Gino tells me we just heard a European robin and a Eurasian blackbird. And here's something interesting about that. The European robin, it's pretty well known, is not related to our American robin, but the Eurasian blackbird is related to our American robin. The American robin and the Eurasian blackbird are both thrushes, while the European robin belongs to the old world flycatcher family. I hope I have that right. If not, today's guest will correct me. Sad notes today, the birding world and the broadcasting world have lost some wonderful folks this month, and we'd like to note the passing of three that we know, including the great New England birder Doug Chickering. Doug was a guest on our show numerous times, telling us in a most poetic and passionate way about his bird sightings at a place called Plum Island in a refuge called Parker River here in Massachusetts. We had two monikers for Doug. One was the Prince of Plum Island, and the other was the poet of Parker River. We also lost a special and extra-loyal listening friend of the show, Eva McNutt, from here in Massachusetts and nearby Hanover, and we send our condolences to Eva's daughter, Karen, and all of her family. We also lost a great radio affiliate friend, Marshall Miles, who for quite a number of years made sure that our show hit the airwaves every week on Robin Hood Radio's public stations in parts of New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut. Rest in peace, good friends, Doug, Eva, and Marshall. While the Cornell Lab's websites have lots of wonderful features, one of which our guest today will tell us more about, and one of which is their ongoing listing of bird festivals and related events all around the country. We have a convenient link to the list, by the way. You can find it under the Get Involved tab at TalkingBirds.com. Here's one mention, one uh, event we thought we'd mention today. It's the Pelican Island Conservation Society's Indian River Bird and Nature Art Show. 
in conjunction with National Wildlife Refuge Week, which is October 8th through the 14th. Meant to say this is in Florida, by the way. It's centered at the Environmental Learning Center in Vero Beach with other, other activities out in the field. The Pelican Island National Wildlife Refuge, by the way, was the first refuge in the nation, the first National Wildlife Refuge established in 1903 by President Theodore Roosevelt. That uh, show, by the way, that bird and nature art show there, continues through October 27th. What we have there is our mystery bird. Little preview here of the contest later on in the show. We do the preview here so you'll have a chance to be ready when we kind of give the signal a little bit later on. Our mystery bird is a robin-sized perching bird of wooded swamps breeding in the northern forests of Canada and Alaska, wintering most of the eastern half of the U.S. Adults have a pointed bill and a pale yellow eye. Breeding males are shiny black, dull black with rusty brown bars in winter. Females have grayer plumage, mostly rusty brown in the wintertime. Our bird feeds on plant matter and insects. Sometimes, though, it's known to go after other birds like robins and sparrows and others. Some clues there in the sound of our mystery bird. And we have a brand new prize on our mystery bird contest this morning. It's a $25 gift certificate from Bird Collective. They describe themselves themselves as your one-stop shop for unique and stylish birding apparel and gifts. You can check out their newest collections and partnerships with conservation groups at birdcollective.com. They're a wonderful company, and we're really happy to have them as a prize provider here on Talking Birds. We like to give a royal salute here every week, and today... We salute Linda Rowan from Levittown, Pennsylvania, a new Talking Birds ambassador, helping us to spread the word about our show and about the importance of conservation. Thank you, Linda. Thanks for the kind comments and for being a Talking Birds ambassador, which is so easy to do and fun to do. We send you some cards. You hand them out at your leisure to friends, and that's what being an ambassador is. Just go to the Get Involved tab at TalkingBirds.com to sign up. Still to come today, we'll talk to the editor of a wonderful site called All About Birds. He's Hugh Powell, and he'll be with us here very shortly. Also today, Mike O'Connor will join us for a Let's Ask Mike segment almost live from the archive with an answer to a frequently asked question. How can I discourage visits from wild turkeys? And up next, a bird that was almost lost to the ravages of pesticides is today's featured feathered friend. Is it a generalized specialist or a specialized generalist? That question was once posed by Dr. Rob Beauregard, author of the book Bell's Journey, An Osprey Takes Flight. The osprey, sometimes known as the seahawk, or the fish hawk, or the eagle hawk, seems to be a specialist since it eats almost nothing but fish, but also seems like a generalist in that it doesn't seem to care what kind of fish it eats. It's been seen carrying many fish species, 
from fresh and salt water, including small sharks. Ospreys have evolved an impressive arsenal of features that make them premier fish catchers, from a strong hooked bill to backward-curving taloned feet to sharp spiny scales on their feet that form a rough surface for gripping their slippery prey. It's pretty cool to watch ospreys hover over the water and suddenly make a feet-first swooping dive, hitting the water so forcefully they sometimes nearly disappear beneath the surface and then take flight again after carefully arranging the fish held in its talons head-first to maximize their aerodynamic profile. The osprey has made a remarkable recovery since being nearly wiped out by poisonous pesticides like the now widely banned DDT and can be found on every continent except Antarctica. The osprey is almost as famous for the wide variety of items that it often places in its nest as it is for its fish-catching abilities. In his Life Histories of American Birds, ornithologist Arthur Cleveland Bent noted the many items that have been discovered in the nests of ospreys. A sample list includes a barrel hoop, a boat oar, a feather duster, a pair of trousers, a rag doll, a toy boat complete with sail, a small fruit basket, a doormat, a sheep skull, and, as if to showcase the osprey's remarkable skills as an angler, an entire fishing rod, line and reel included. It's Pandion, Heliatus, today's featured feathered friend, the osprey. Welcome again. It's our show number 900 and uh, uh, let me uh, let me check. Uh, 954. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's right. Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Senior Science Editor Hugh Powell writes and edits for the member magazine Living Bird. He also manages the lab's main social media channels and he edits the Cornell Lab's All About Birds website and species guide. It's that site and guide that he joins us to talk about on today's show. Good morning, Hugh. Hi, Ray. Great to be on your show. It's great to have you uh, back again. And you probably think you were introduced twice there, but you, that was just your imagination. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to say that it hasn't been a long time since you've been with us. Hugh, you were a guest uh, with us on the 11th of June uh, when you told us about the impact on birds of those big Canadian wildfires. This summer, yeah, that conversation can be found, by the way, on our TalkingBirds.com website. It was show number 938. So, Hugh, just as an overview about uh, all about birds, um, when things like this come about, it's usually because there's a knowledge gap maybe of some sort that needs to be filled. And how is that determined for all about birds? Well, boy, you're going way back to the history of all about birds, um, coming about in the early 2000s, before I was at the lab, actually. Mm. Um, and when the internet was still kind of a newish thing, mm -hmm. and some folks at, at the Cornell Lab uh, started thinking, there's lots of people that are interested in birds, and there's just not a very uh, accessible place to learn about all of the things you might have questions about. Um, and so uh, uh, a person um, named, uh, a scientist named, Kevin McGowan, who's been at the lab for a very long time and is still there and now works for our Bird Academy courses, 
um, had it had the idea to create a bunch of species accounts about North American species and make those just publicly available on the web so that anybody that was typing a bird name into Google could find out about these birds. This is such a such a useful site. I can tell you that it's you know as we uh, p- people may not believe it, but we actually do a little research for our show here every week, and uh, <laughs> all about birds is certainly one of our uh, top sources of of information. How, how do how do other folks use it? Do, do you think are there many many different ways, or are there typical ways? Yeah, I mean. Um... Yeah, a lot of people use it to learn about identification stuff. A lot of people uh, maybe are just trying to figure out what bird did they see, and they go to our our um, species accounts, and then they we have a nice similar species feature that helps sort of people narrow down where what they might be looking for. Uh, but it's also used. There's a lot of information on life history that you really can't find in very many other public sources very easily. So things like how do they form their pair bonds or do they form pair bonds? Um, how many chicks do they have in a, in a nest? How many nests, how many broods will they raise in a season? What do they eat? You know, where do they migrate to? All of that kind of information is, um, is sort of compiled there to make it relatively easy to find. Mm-hmm. So uh, correct me if I have this wrong, but I think we have nearly a thousand species of birds in North America, close to 11,000 worldwide a lot of species to cover. How do you kind of winnow that down and decide which make it to the uh, All About Birds site? Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, we started out uh, with um, an academic resource that had been published. We started publishing in the 90s called Birds of North America. That was a very scientific, scholarly um, uh, assemblage of facts for every species in for about 700 species in North America. Um, and that's what Dr. McGowan had the idea to take that and take the most interesting stuff and the most accessible stuff out of those birds in North America accounts and put them into all about birds accounts so that regular folks could read and, and, and enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's partly why all about birds focuses on North American species, mostly U.S. Canada species. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are just on the verge of expanding. We have about 635 species covered um, in All About Birds right now. Uh, we're looking at um, expanding to some Western European species uh, as well. So the ones that you played at the beginning of the show, those little sound clips, hopefully you'll be able to find those um, in uh, maybe a few months um, on All About Birds. Um and then we're also really interested in covering some Hawaiians, some native Hawaiian species, which, as your listeners may know, are very highly endangered, and also just some of the most unique species in the world, um, and also covering seabirds as well, kind of for a similar reason. And you're inviting folks, if I'm right, to uh, email you if there's a bird they really think should be uh, should be included, right? I can't make any promises about what we're going to put on there, but I am always, always fascinated by what people are interested in and uh, what people would would go to. For instance, uh, one of my colleagues at the lab, our our editorial director, Gus Axelson, we mentioned we were going to start covering European species, and he said, how much do I have to pay to get uh, Eurasian hoopoe into as one of those first species? And if you're if your your readers know or your listeners know a hoopoe, that's a spectacular, spectacular it, bird. It is. Um, so, yeah, I my my email address. I'll put it out there. 
my email address is hdp8 at cornell.edu. Anybody wants to send me their favorite bird that they'd like to send on all about birds? Like I said, no promises, but I would love to hear from you. All right. Uh, that address again, that email address, hdp8 at cornell.edu. By the way, uh, you can, on All About Birds, you have these, you know, you know connections to other sites and and so on. One of them is Birds of the World. Speaking of um, really in-depth uh, mm-hmm. knowledge about birds, give us a quick thumbnail about Birds of the World, if you would. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So Birds of the World is what, I mentioned the Birds of North America project as sort of the impetus for All About Birds and a lot of the source material. And over the years, um, in about 2017, we had the idea to cr- to create, to move from birds of North America to birds of the world and expand and try to give information, scientific sort of scholarly information about every single species of birds in the world. And as you said, that's almost 11,000. Um, that's a subscription service at the moment um, because it's a, it's a huge endeavor, as you might imagine. But that's a place where you can go and see uh, photos, video, and sounds that we have in, in our Macaulay Library archive um, for every species in the world. And, um, and you can get uh, scientific information about how that bird lives and what it looks like and what its molts are like and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Well, you gave us a little history about all about birds. Um, one thing you told me off the air, there was a little bit of lab lore, as you described it, about uh, <laughs> what what almost became the name instead of All About Birds? Yeah, we get this question sometimes is why is it called All About Birds? And um, and it's a funny story because, you know, the lab is mostly a scientific organization and there's a lot of really, really smart people that work there and that think about birds all the time. And so when Dr. McGowan was thinking and creating All About Birds and they were thinking about launching it back in about 2003, they were racking their brains to try and figure out what would be a good catchy name for this site. And so after, I don't know how long this was, this was again, this was before my time in the lab, but the name they came up with was Ornithopolis, which if you think about it, it's kind of like a metropolis yeah. with birds, ornithology in it. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a, that is a, that is a fun, fun name, but it's definitely a little bit niche, a little bit geeky. Yeah. And right before they were about to launch, somebody at the lab was walking around one day and said, you know, maybe we should just call it all about birds because that's what it is. And it was one of those moments of where, where it's sort of like, it's clearly the thing to do. So fortunately we were saved from having to tell people go to, go to ornithopolis.com. <laughs> and instead we can just say, go to allaboutbirds.org. All right. That ornithop- ornithopolis name is probably available for somebody who wants to uh, find a use for it. Maybe, right? It might be, it might be. <laughs> Cornell lab of ornithology, senior science editor, Hugh Powell writes and edits for the magazine, the member magazine at Cornell living bird. Also manages the lab's main social media channels, and he edits that remarkable website and species guide we've been talking about. Not Ornithopolis, but all about (laughs) birds. Hugh, thanks for being with us, and thanks for all about birds. Thank you, Ray. It's always fun to be on this show. Thanks for everybody for visiting All About Birds. Hugh Powell here on Talking Birds, and up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. The Flutter of a Tail Feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. 
But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. We hear that, that mystery bird. It's, it's, it's getting closer and closer and closer. There he is. Our mystery bird is a robin-sized perching bird of wooded swamps, breeding in the northern forests of Canada and Alaska and wintering in most of the eastern half of the U.S., by the way, this bird has undergone a dramatic decline in recent years. It's a sad story, but also maybe a hint to the identification of this bird. Adults have a pointed bill and a pale yellow eye. Breeding males are shiny black, dull black with rust-brown bars in winter. Females have grayer plumage that's mostly rust-brown in the winter. Our mystery bird feeds mostly on insects and plant matter, but it's known to attack and eat other birds. It's been documented feeding on robins and sparrows and others as well. That's our mystery bird. That very special new prize from our friends at Bird Collective. It's a $25 gift certificate for that one-stop shop for unique and stylish birding apparel and gifts. They also do a lot of wonderful stuff working with conservation groups as partners, so we're thrilled to have them. Birdcollective.com is their website, birdcollective.com. 781-837-4900 is the number to call on our Mystery Bird Contest. If you know the answer or would like to take a guess, because a drawing will determine our winner, if we don't get a correct answer, give us a call. 781-837-4900. Call us as soon as you can. 781-837-4900. Let's ask Mike. Uh, Almost live from the archive is is coming along here next. There's a me- there's a there's a reference here to the Andy Griffith Show or Mayberry RFD. Um, we'll explain that later. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um. Well, there was this one time. I went camping with my parents in a forest back when I was maybe like eight or nine. And um, I can remember one night we were in our hammocks and we were just, you know, watching the trees rustling in the wind above us and we could hear the sounds of the forest all around us. Frogs singing and owls calling and the creek running nearby. It was amazing. It felt like we were a part of it all. I don't know if I do it justice trying to describe it, but I'll definitely never forget it. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Mike O'Connor is down there at the uh, Birdwatcher's General Store, and he is with us, as that music would uh, indicate. Uh, Good morning, Mike. 
Is that you, Andy Griffith? <laughs> yep. Welcome to Mayberry, RFD. <laughs> I just come back from Floyd the Barber and uh, got a nice little <laughs> trim down there. You and Aunt May, Aunt B. Aunt B, good old Aunt B. Well, uh, Mike, um, we heard from Janice up in Grantham, New Hampshire, and um, she has a little problem with wild turkeys. I mean, uh, lots of people do, uh, don't they? And these turkeys apparently are are kind of chewing up uh, Janice's lawn, and she and she would like them to be maybe a little bit farther away from her yard than they are uh, right now. Uh, any suggestions? Well, you know, I'm kind of the wrong guy to ask that because I'd rather see turkeys in a lawn. But um, <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, the birds what I what I like to see. But um, the really, I mean, some people want a repellent. There's really no repellent. Birds' sense of taste and smell is not really that strong in terms of repellent. Mm-hmm. It's it's more of scare tactics. Turkeys have a dominance factor, and and if you go right at them. First of all, get rid of the food. If there's any kind of food, any reason for them to come to the yard, you've got to get rid of that right away or, or at least temporarily. Stop that because if if there's no food, then they'll just come to your yard, and if they're poking around, you can go after them, go after them where there are a hose or, you know, if you really want to wake up the neighbor's pots and pans. Some people use an umbrella, pop it up and down. But, but re, be relentless, and the turkeys will just say, okay, I don't need this crazy lady. I'll go bother somebody else's yard. But, oh, look at that. There's a quick one. Wasn't yeah, it? we are so short on time this morning. Sorry about that. I wanted to ask you about this coyote urine thing. But uh, Yeah, what yeah, stay, stay away from that. That's just, you know, that, that urine comes from fur farms, and it's not, it's not nice for the animals, and it's really not effective in terms of birds. So, yes, yeah, stay away okay. from that, too. Thumbs down on the coyote urine solution. Yeah. All right, Mike. All right. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Back here one more time for the Mystery Bird Contest. Time is short. Give us a call as soon as you can. If you'd like to take a guess or tell us what the bird is at 781-837-4900. If we have time, somehow we'll have a bonus question and a bonus prize of that feather-friendly bird window collision kit which prevents birds from crashing into your windows, which is a really good thing. doesn't obscure your view either, looking out at those birds. And our main prize, that $25 gift certificate from Bird Collective. So if you're interested in any kind of uh, birding apparel or gifts related to birding, pretty good chance that they will have it there at Bird Collective. Birdcollective.com is their website. And Caroline is on the phone from, speaking of beautiful Hummerock, Massachusetts. Good morning, Caroline. Hi. Hi, good morning, Caroline. You heard uh, probably the sound of that bird there. You heard the clues and even the prizes there. And so your turn now to say, uh, what do you think that bird is? Brown thrasher. A brown thrasher, says Caroline, which is, I don't know. We didn't get any thumbs up on that, so I'm thinking maybe that is not the correct answer. But I appreciate your trying, Caroline. I'm going to keep trying. (laughs) All right. Don't give up. Thank you so much, Caroline. All right. Not a brown thrasher. I think I can see where Caroline was coming from on that guess. We'll try to squeeze another call or two in here before we run out of time. Maybe I should say while we're just waiting to get that call cleared in. Next week, we'll have an unusual guest from Ontario, Canada, whose appearance we're really looking forward to. His name is Ewan Dobson. He's a gifted musician, composer, 
and self-proclaimed wild bird hand-feeding champion. He's a pretty amazing guy, and he'll be with us on next week's show. All right, we have uh, Kathy in Truro, Massachusetts, way down there on the lower Cape, beautiful Cape Cod. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think, Kathy, on our mystery bird there? Is it a, is it a hawk? Is it a hawk? It is not a hawk, no. So that kind of okay. eliminates the further idea, apparently, I think. Yeah, it, uh, is, it, is, not, it is not a hawk, but... Thank you, uh, Kathy, and we'll say the same thing to you, and that is don't give up. Thanks. All right. All right, not a brown thrasher, not any kind of a hawk. I think we're going to have to flip the cards here and say that that bird is the rusty blackbird. The rusty blackbird was our mystery bird. And um, we're going we're gonna to do a little instant drawing and pick Kathy in Truro as our winner. So, Kathy, if you will call us back, we'll arrange to send you some beautiful prizes. That is it for our show this morning. Thanks to our engineer, Jesse Wilkins, and his special assistant, George Yazbek. We'll see you next week. The bird show. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty. Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com.